0: Hi, my name is Reggie Williams, and I'm one of the executive directors of Black Film Space. Black Film Space is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the careers of Black filmmakers. We host workshops, panels, and other community building events that are designed to support Black content creators. We also have a membership program that offers discounts to filmmaking resources, free events, a filmmaking database, grants, a mentorship program, and much more the next episode of the black film space podcast we talk with zuko notada a south african director best known for his film uncovered which is currently streaming on netflix we talk with zuko about negotiating with netflix filming in south africa and much more this episode was executive produced by reggie williams and Sino gibson and edited by elon peton and now on to our interview All right, Zuko, welcome to the Black Film Space podcast. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good. How are you, my brother?
0: I'm doing good. I'm doing good.
1: Yeah, I know. Thanks for having me, man.
0: Of course, of course. Thank you for being on the call. I know you're, like, way ahead of where I'm at on the uh, East Coast of America. Where are you based? I'm based
1: in Johannesburg, South Africa.
0: Nice. Nice, nice. And uh you've made a you've made a film called Uncovered. Can you tell us more about uh, that project?
1: Yeah, Uncovered. yeah. Um that project is close to my heart, man. Um I think I made did at a time when I was going through a rough patch in the film industry. You know, the film industry has got its ups and downs. Mm-hmm which was for me a blessing in disguise. So what happened is in 2016, I won an award, and in 2017, uh, you you can imagine when you can't get work, just like like at the back of you winning an award and you can't get work. But it was a blessing in disguise because then it meant that I had time to to work on this film. So how it came about is that I'm, I'm, I travel a lot, so I'm a traveler, mm-hmm. and I also read. So one weekend I decided to go to guazulu Natal, which is one of the provinces here in South Africa, uh, for the weekend. Um, and when I got there, there was a there was a a mining uh, conference. So where we had the Minister of Minerals and Resources. And we had all these miners uh, all over the country and Africa as well. And this is when I started having interest, because Newcastle in Guazul-Natal is also the hub of mining, especially coal. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I looked at the community, they were very poor, like super poor. For people that are, are producing minerals, it was strange to me, like, mm-hmm. how, how is this happening? How does a community that produce and exports so much coal is this poor like mm-hmm. how can this happen and i started making my research like talking to the people and i realized that the conditions they're living in are so bad man even the the, the the mine you know when you finish mining you have to rehabilitate the land and close those open pits and stuff they were still open so which means that these people are also exposed to Uh, these hazardous conditions, they were living in health. It it was a health hazard. They are living in this, like like literally on top of open pits, you know? Mm -hmm. And they're getting sick every day, and no one cares. No one cares if they die. No one cares if they suffer from TB. You know what I mean? And there's lines at the hospital, and there's lines in the clinics. And there's no remedy for the situation. On closer look, I realized that corruption was at the root of it. Mm -hmm. so now this was corruption enabled by black people Mm -hmm. but the champions of this corruption was white people which also gave me another perspective in corruption that you can't give it color I know when you think corruption you think black people are corrupt but when I looked closer into this one the champions of this corruption were the white people but of course disappointingly aided by our black people that are supposed to be helping the black uh, community especially since now, since now we have a democracy and um, we are led by black government of the Mm. ANC. So obviously the assumption is that things are gonna be better. That is when I started digging and realized that bigger companies, you know, are taking this coal and exporting it uh, at inflated prices. And Mm. these are our problems as well that contribute to also load shedding, you know. Last week mm. we were supposed to do an interview, I couldn't, because there was no electricity. So mm. we suffered suffering from that as well. And you are like, so how can a country that exports coal um, have shortage of coal, that also leads to shortage of electricity of power? How mm. does that happen? And this is where the film came about. And this is when mm. I decided that something needs to be done, a film needs to be written and this is how Uncovered came about.
0: Wow, that really is a, a really dynamic way of getting to this story. It seems like it's a really political movie. Uh, were there any hiccups in
1: production because of that, that concept? So the hiccups came when we were shooting. I'm gonna call it out as it is. So um, I was looking for a lab, uh, a mining lab. So you know when you look for locations, Uh, Fortunately, they are independent coal mines, so we got permission to shoot in one coal mine. But we had two sons that had to shoot at a mining lab. Uh, And when we're looking for this location, I remember we went to one of these mines in Newcastle, and it was a hassle to get that location. In fact, we were dismissed, um, and we were told that we, we will never be allowed to shoot there. Fortunately, part of our funding came from the government. Mm. And they facilitated that we get that that location. But as soon as we finished shooting, I then received an email. So the name of the mine was totally different from the the, the name of the huge mining company that sent me an email afterwards. So I get an email from Glencoe, but the, the name of the mine was something else. And the name of the lab was something else. But now when we were done shooting, then the email comes from someone who works for for for, for Glencoe and they're demanding to, to see the footage. Which gave me another perspective that this thing is bigger than we think. You might think that we are doing something on a smaller scale, but this might just be a threat on a bigger scale. Hmm. Uh, Understandably so, because when I was researching about these coal mines, I realized that Klienko was at the center of it. Uh, Deketa, which was owned by uh, the Guptas, was also also at the center of it. So it came as no surprise when we received this email. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, To say, want to see the footage and see what you shot in our our lab. So now we had to cut these scenes and send to someone who didn't even know, because my thing was, if we don't do this, it might sabotage the film.
0: Mm
1: You know, but fortunately nothing happened afterwards, nice. but that, that was just one of the things that were, you know, that just raised some, some concerns. Yeah. Yes.
0: In regards to research, I mean, pretty much when, when anybody makes a film, even if they know a lot about the subject matter, they should do some sort of research. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate more on the research process uh, for this project and like what, what basis did you feel like
1: you had to cover? So, yeah, I did a lot of research for this for this film like what was important for me as well I was talking to black entrepreneurs that own these coal mines in 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 Newcastle and obviously, they tell you stories that are sad because white people are starting to sell these mines to 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 black people, and what these black uh, business people get is obviously projections so when you buy something you look at, at projections to see how much are you going to make over a period of time let's say maybe over 10 years how much are you going to make over 10 years but the mining costs are not disclosed so now you've got like mm-hmm. business people that buy mines at no profit when they start mining because when you start mining you realize that the mining costs are, are more than they exceed what you would have made over a period of 10 years, which, which is very sad. So I had to speak to a lot of them. And obviously I had to also speak to, there's, a, there's an intelligent guy here. He has a radio show, um, he's an accountant as well, he's into politics, his name is Kaya Sitoli. So I had to sit down with him as well and he had to lead me to the right direction in terms of this research. And, you know, I mean, if I I had enough money, the the film would have been bigger, or it would have even been a series, because then the research I made was just leading me all over the world, you know, where you were like, oh, okay, so this monopoly is not just killing South Africa, it is killing a lot of other African countries. Mm -hmm. And it would take you from South Africa to someone who studied at VEDS, university, uh, lead you all the way back to, in fact, back to the U.S., to the king of oil, mm-hmm. and that leads you to Switzerland and that takes you to Zambia in the copper mines. And you just see that, okay, this uh, thread it's a, it's a common thread that is very unfortunate and very cruel and very um, hindering and contributing to the situation of a lot of African countries you know, the situation mm. we find ourselves in. Mm. So, yeah, a lot of research had to be made for us to, to be as close as, as we can get to the truth. Yeah. So what's the
0: difference between your work ethic and, and hustle when you shoot an independent film compared to when you have uh, set funding?
1: So obviously with independent filmmaking, you know, the funding is, 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 is never enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's one of the biggest problems so we we we, you know when i shot uncovered the situation was not bad as it is now uh it was sort of easier to get the rebates um from the dti department of trade and industry but obviously uh, i always say black filmmakers are not trust fund babies so Mm -hmm. you need to work hard to raise each and every cent for the film but obviously it it also requires a lot of discipline um, from you as a producer director because you can't afford to to lose a day you can't afford to lose an hour to lose you know I mean you you can't lose time every time is precious you know I mean in an hour when the camera is not rolling does not help you as a producer to get closer to the product that you want mm-hmm. because there's no backup uh, just to put it bluntly, you are on your own, so it needs you to be a disciplined person um, and it helps th- that you also apply the same discipline to work that is commissioned or to work that even even when you are hired by companies that that can easily raise these funds you mm-hmm. know. So, but, but the level of discipline needs to be, to be high. And the level of preparation needs to be on another level. Uh, because uh, you know this, Reggie, if you don't prepare, uh, you will encounter problems on set that you will never be able to deal with. Yeah. So, your prep work needs to be on point as well. So, it went to a point where even before I started pre production, I had to find locations myself. Because that meant saving time, saving money, but also getting the right locations without second-guessing someone. You know when you have a scout, you need about three or four options, and then you choose one option or whatever. Mm -hmm. But in this case, because I would wake up at 3 in the morning and drive for like three hours. Wow. When I find the right location, I would know there and there that this is the right location, and lock it off immediately, make sure that I secure it. So that's the level of discipline that was required. So every day for like three weeks, I would wake up at three in the morning, go to bed at 11 p.m., you know, making sure that I find the right locations and I negotiate the, 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 the rates for those locations and have my paperwork up front even before I go and shoot. And then I, I, I sort of decided to work backwards like the way we normally do here in South Africa. So on the first day of pre-production, I took all the HODs on a location, Reiki, so that when they, read, when they prep now, so I said to them, read scripts before we start pre-production. So that now when they prep, everyone has seen the location. So now you're prepping, having an idea of where this scene is going to be shot and what it is going to require. So our technical meeting as well and our script meeting and our prep work with the scripting started even before we had to purchase anything, even before our department started sourcing, auto started sourcing, makeup started working. So we had sat around the table and read the script and broke it down in every way, like technically as well, scene by scene, to say this scene requires this as you have seen the location, this is where we're going to shoot, this is what we need. So by the time we started prepping over the four weeks, everyone had seen the locations, with, which helped uh, in a great way. You mm-hmm. know, So we had also to change the way that we approach um, the process. But yeah. so we make sure that we, when we shoot, we maximize and economize at the same time. Got you. H- how long did it take for you to shoot? It took us four weeks to shoot. Okay. So, our, our prep work was four weeks. Our shooting time was four weeks. Um, yeah. And our post took a bit longer. I think it was 12 weeks. Yeah. Okay.
0: That's pretty quick. That's not, that's not
1: bad. Yeah. And was it all uh, government funded? In our case, yes. It was all government funded. So, the National Film and Video Foundation falls under government. Uh, the Guazul-Natal Film Commission uh, falls under government. We had uh, tourism as well, which falls under government, and we had the DTI. So fortunately for us, the entire structure was government structure, which, which helped a lot mm-hmm. because it, it then eased the pressure in terms of in terms of breaking even. You know, I mean, it's so difficult in South Africa to break even, especially mm-hmm. in cinema.
0: It's difficult to break in, you said?
1: To to break even, to, to make your money. Oh, yeah,
0: gotcha. Yes. Now, as soon as you finish post-production, what was the next step that you took?
1: The good thing is, at least before we started shooting, I had an idea of where I wanted to take the film. So one of the decisions I made before shooting was that I was going to uh, make an independent film and do my own distribution, like independent distribution as well which is not uh, mm-hmm. what a lot of people would prefer to do especially in south africa so i had plans already i i had spoken to Stake with this side um, on my personal capacity i had approached a new metro as well i had approached the sapc which is the public broadcaster and the only thing i needed was help from a local sales agent with the Netflix deal, and Canal Plus, which is a French channel, and the airlines. So there was there was a bit of work done before we started shooting. So all we had to ensure we did was to shoot a very decent film that is easy to sell. Otherwise, the conversations had already mm-hmm. happened. And, and fortunately, the people were just waiting for the film. And when they received the film, it was It was a yay, you know, I mean, everyone was excited about it. And fortunately for me, it was not difficult at all to sell. And Mm -hmm. it was also not difficult to put it to film festivals as well. So we had a a film festival plan. Obviously, some will reject you depending on what they are looking for. But I think we had a decent run in film festivals, Uh, Mm -hmm. especially in the U.S. I mean, we received a lot of love in the U.S. Um, London as well. We also semifinalists in the London platform festival Africa as well we navigated Africa um, I mean for those who still want to see the film it's on Netflix as we speak uh, we still have another year with the public broadcaster here in the country mm-hmm. uh, so there, 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 there was there was a plan there were thoughts and there were screenings as well planned around in the country uh, there were road shows planned to to promote and market the film, even though we didn't really have marketing funding. But I think we did pretty much well, I mean, in terms of that. And mm-hmm. we got a lot of airtime on radio and a couple of interviews on TV. So yeah, there, there was a plan. And I think we mm-hmm. did stick to the plan.
0: What makes your film marketable?
1: It's what makes it marketable. I think. You know, it has a unique identity, culturally, and you can, if you are from South Africa, you can relate to the 10 of events. You know, when you watch the film and you are someone who reads newspapers, watch news on TV, even on social media, if you follow them, you know what I mean? Uh you would you'd believe that we had taken the story out of a newspaper, you know, because this is something that happens in our everyday lives. So to someone in the country, it's easier. Because when you watch the film, it's like, wow, mm-hmm. this just happened yesterday. Or I just heard about this thing last month, you know what I mean? So that in its own helps the film here. But selling it outside of the country. I mean, you wouldn't want to consume what you see every day in America, I think. So when you watch a film from, from another country, you want to have a window or a glimpse into the life of those people, because you don't know those particular people. You know what I mean? But you don't want to watch it and be like, ah, I've seen this over and over again. But if you watch something different, but that is well done as well, yeah. um, it's easier to say, this is the film that I want to buy. You know, this is the film that I want to watch. I remember we opened the Chelsea Film Festival in New York. I think this was the other year before lockdown. So before lockdown, we were at the Chelsea Film Festival in New York. It was the opening film. A friend of mine from South Africa came to watch as well. But when he came, he looked in the foyer and was like, so how many films are screening today? And I said to him, it's just one. And and he said, but there's so many people. Those people had seen the trailer, those people had read reviews about the film, and it was something that interested them. They wanted to see this, they wanted to see how it's been executed. And I think the execution as well was on point, which is very important, you know? And we tried to get the basics right, and we tried to get great editors that will hold the film from the beginning to the end. And I think because we were specific in what we we're trying to do with the film. Like I'm saying, especially culturally as well, and especially with identity, it was easier for anyone else to say, this is the movie that I want to see. Dope, dope, dope. Yeah. In
0: regards to the film festival route, you, you screened at the Pan-African Film Festival. How, how does that help or benefited you as a filmmaker?
1: I've carved, I've made relationships, um, for myself professionally so yeah, like i am said if you're not a dreamer i always feel that there, there's no point you need to dream big uh obviously i'm one person who's always looking for everlasting professional relationships that sometimes become personal as well but yeah everlasting professional relationships that can lead you to something else so it has benefited me in a in a, in a big way um Today I signed in fact my agreement with an agent in, 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 in Hollywood.
0: Oh, congratulations it's amazing
1: yeah and it's because of, it's, it's because of these these film festivals mm. you know because you, you never know who's watching. So we screened. I met someone who was like, wow this is this is beautiful this is this is big uh, We exchanged contact information and they contacted me. Uh, we started talking, and through those screenings, I also met other interesting people in the U.S. I met Miguel Nunez Jr. as well. Uh, and in fact, the PEN, you know, uh, people might think it's a—it's not a small festival as all. Well. It's been around for a very long time. I mean, the first time I went to the Pan African Film Festival, I went to a premiere of about last night in Hollywood. Mm. First time being in a premiere, in the, in the U.S. and the number of creatives I met there, you know, and the contacts I made there, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm still using them even today. Like I'm saying, so, so it benefits you. Um, like I'm saying, I signed a deal today. And from the pen, obviously, um, it was easier for some, there was, there was someone who was there who said, I would like to take this film to the Chelsea Film Festival. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a chain that benefits you as a filmmaker. So you must you must not undermine anything. You must when you're placing your film, if you have never been there, go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Before you can make an opinion about it. So it has benefited me personally and I don't wanna lie to you, I would do it again.
0: Dope, dope. But you, you were able to sell to Netflix without necessarily having to go the the festival route, right? That's what you said?
1: Yes, yes.
0: So What do you deem as an acceptable deal when it comes to selling your film to a distributor?
1: Okay, so you you learn as you go. Um, I wouldn't have made the decision to to self-distribute if I didn't make the first film. So I made my first film um, in 2014, released it, titled Between Friends. Obviously gave it to a distributor. And the technicalities there are so... They work against you as a producer and as a filmmaker. And you don't really see the money. That is why it was easy for me now to say, with this one, I want to do it differently. Mm -hmm. Obviously, so there's a difference with a pre-sale. Pre-sale means that you are desperate to get money to shoot your film now. You can't shoot it without the pre-sale. So that money will always be fixed and will always be little. Mm-hmm. But licensing works to ad, uh, your advantage because now you're selling a product. And if you know that the product is good and you're confident, then you can name the price and you can start negotiating from there. Mm-hmm. But with pre-sale, this has never been short, uh, has not been shot yet. What you have is a script and you have a budget and if you have a shortfall these people can only give you the the shortfall which works against you and then they take the film Mm -hmm. and you've you've already used that money so it means that you're not getting anything in return but once you shoot package finish and you are confident that you've got a big product then you can negotiate Mm -hmm. for instance in in terms of rents for one year I think here in South Africa, with the public broadcaster, we, we got a very good deal. It was around 1.2 million rands. Mm-hmm. That's 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 very good money. I mm-hmm. think it's in dollars. I think that's 120,000 US dollars. Oh no! Nice. Yeah. So that's what we got. With Netflix, it was our first time dealing with them. We took a deal for 60,000 US dollars. Mm-hmm. But the upside of that is that now we're negotiating with them for a film we haven't shot yet. Mm. But that is going well because they've they've seen our work, they've screened it and they love it and the way it was received as well on Netflix was good. Mm -hmm. So now that puts you in a better position when you negotiate again for the new film. So we haven't even started shooting this one, but it has been put on their slate uh, which puts us in a better position. So situations are always not the same, so you weigh your options Sometimes you say, I'll take this um, for these reasons. But sometimes you can say, no, nah, I don't want to. Uh, and you can keep moving. You can keep, you know, I mean, we, we have um, pay TV here. But for obvious reasons, we opted for Netflix because of the exposure and the legs the film is going to receive. I mean, people in the U.S. have seen the film from Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, friends in Belgium have watched the film. People in Africa have seen the film, so a lot of people now have seen the film because it was on Netflix. Yeah. If we had sold it to a pay TV in the country, it would mean that only people in South Africa would have seen the film. Mm-hmm. But now there's a lot of people that have seen it, and it's again it opens the doors for you. Yeah,
0: for that second deal. Yeah. So you're saying that I mean I know every situation is different, but you would recommend that filmmakers wait until they're film is finished before
1: negotiating as opposed to doing it before they shoot exactly okay when, when you finish your product you've got an upper hand yeah Yeah, you've got an upper hand gotcha gotcha
0: i mean you're selling me on this you know i think film festivals are cool but it is a long process you know um but yeah i mean the fact that you don't know who's watching you in a good way and like you said it can it, there's like a snowball effect you get into one festival then you get into the next and and the whole Netflix thing is is so dope that people from all around the world can watch your film and you can get exposure that you know 15 years ago wasn't really possible yeah um, cuz sometimes i'm like sometimes i feel like i have a, a you know a love hate relationship with Netflix because there's so much content on there it's like how does one weed through you know and how does one know what are the you know the better films or the better tv shows to watch but um you know the fact that you know people from america were able to watch your film in belgium and and you're able to to work on on another project with them i think speaks to how valuable the uh streaming you know model is
1: yes yes no it is but also like i'm saying you you must also be prepared to to get dirty, like in terms of of working hard. Mm-hmm. If you're doing it independently, you 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 can't sleep because that is your money. Yeah, you know what I mean. So you just need to keep working hard. Yeah. Uh, one of the things we did with with Tandega was getting a group of influencers, put them together, and start working. Um, I remember on the day of us streaming on Netflix. we're we're trending uh, on Twitter because everyone just started talking about the film and everyone then wanted to see the film. So you also need to look at every way that can help the film, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of marketing. I I believe we worked hard to make sure that people watch the film. And what we did as well, so even even WhatsApp messages to, to the people that you know, Mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. got friends in the US that come from South Africa that were also willing to tell other people in the US I remember when I went to the when we went to the Penn African Film Festival they put us in a WhatsApp group that has got all the South Africans <laughs> and we joined uh, a Facebook page that has got South Africans living in Los Angeles Mm-hmm. and when I arrived in America, I remember someone called me and they said to me, uh, the streets are telling me that you guys are here, mm-hmm. because now everyone was waiting for us. Our screening was was pegged. Nice. Because now this person was able to tell the other person about this film, and they you know, word of mouth, say what you want about it. it, it works wonders. When it works, it just works wonders. Yeah. So, I mean, we're even willing to go that extra mile to talk to friends and say yo please man um tell whoever you can about this film Mm -hmm. and if they can come let them come and see it i think that worked wonders for us as well Mm, nice
0: yeah i'm all i'm all about the word of mouth i'm all about that grind you know whenever i have to put something together and i want people to show up i i will text everybody individually if i had to i'll call everybody individually if I had to I'd knock on every door, <laughs> you know, I think that I just love that sort of grind, that sort of approach. And I think uh, it makes sense in regards to being an independent filmmaker. Yeah. So in regards to your film being on Netflix, when, when the contract is up, do you still have rights to your film?
1: Yes. That's the good thing. So the good thing about it is we, we own the film and for instance, as much as it's on Netflix, they don't have exclusive rights in the world, around the world. They have exclusive rights in Africa only. Gotcha. So we still have an opportunity to sell. I mean we're still working on that as well. We still you know, so Airlines, we're still selling, it's it's on it's on Emirates, it's on SAA, I think, Air France as well, like I was saying, Canal Plus as well, the French Channel so Mm -hmm. so you you still exploit the film even though it is on netflix you know Mm -hmm. as opposed to you waiting for someone to tell you what you can and what you cannot do about your movie so in this case we've got absolute control of the movie gotcha
0: was that negotiated or was that just kind of like this the status quo
1: no you do negotiate so if, if they want exclusivity around the world, then it means they need to pay you more money. Yeah. So it is a negotiation uh, thing. It is a negotiation process that you go through and you decide what you're giving them. That's why I was saying. It's empowering to negotiate when you have the product because you are able to say, I'm giving you this product for these territories. I'm going to do, do these territories on my own so that you still have, other windows to exploit your film. Yeah. Do you feel like you
0: face any barriers, you know, being that you're an independent filmmaker and an international filmmaker and an African filmmaker?
1: Obviously, there there are barriers. You know, I, I, I know people will always say we can't always use color, talk about the barriers and the challenges that we have in this industry. But in South Africa, we are we still have a long way to go when it comes to leveling the playing field in the film industry uh, between black and white. When you are independent and you are representing yourself, there are doors that are very difficult to knock in, but when you have a distribution as well in the country, that's what I realized, that's what we realized. There's no black distribution company, Mm. which is also a challenge, so what I think would work for my film in terms of distribution is what the white distribution company does not necessarily see. You know, they see a film differently and they have a different plan for a film. And when it fails, obviously, you can't help thinking you were not informed in terms of the market this film was supposed to go to in the first place.
0: Yeah.
1: And there'll they'll, they'll always be. You know those subtle undermining games that people play. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it, it's a fact. Um, you are you are second guessed as a black creative, and that is why it is difficult to work with white distributors to distribute a film. You are never on the same page.
0: Mm.
1: You know about what is right for the film. They think they know what is right for the film, but we live in our market, we live with our market. This is the market we see every day, this is the market we interact with every day. Um, So what is a person that stays in the suburbs that never go to Soweto a single day, over 365 days in a year, that don't know what a person in Soweto consumes or wants to consume. Mm -hmm. So what are they going to tell you about marketing your film? You know, even the choice of cinemas, like when you take your film to the cinema, Mm -hmm. even the choice of cinemas they give you, you know? Uh, You look at it and you're thinking, hmm, this is not clever. Uh, In South Africa, for instance, you can't take my film to Centin and not have it screening in Soweto. It's Mm -hmm. like you're setting it up for failure. From the word go. In Saudi, you're talking about 3 million black people
0: mm-hmm.
1: in that township. In the largest population there is your white people that are not interested in this content. Yeah. You know, at all. And if you've got maybe 10% of the black elite that might or might not go to watch your phone. So now you need a distributor that understands those those dynamics, that would sit down with you and say to you, what do you think, what do you want for your film, so that I can help you better. So for me, then it's a discussion, I think it helps the filmmaker. So now what they do is they just give you a list of cinemas that your film is going to screen on. And you look at them and you're like, it doesn't make sense. In terms of demographics, this doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. If I was doing this myself, I would take my film to... Walanga and Kailicha in Cape Town, I would take it to Soweto. I would take it to a cinema that is close to Mlazi in Durban. I would, you, know, you know where you would immediately take it to. Uh, not saying that we don't have audiences in in the, in the suburbs and stuff like that, but we know where the majority of our people and our market is.
0: So from their perspective, like why do you think they think their perspective makes sense? Like what, what, what is their reasoning behind you know, those choices of, of playing it in those, you know, cities or theaters?
1: Look, it's the world they're familiar with. And mm-hmm. my opinion is that you've got, like like white people, especially in South Africa, the arrogance, the arrogance is on another level. Uh, you have black people adapting to the times and wanting to do more with, the white people done, you have white people willing to come forward and work with, with black creatives. So it's well, it's the world they are familiar with and they they don't want to leave their comfort zone. They don't want to think out of the box, you know, and say, okay, we need new ways of marketing films. Like I was saying to you, these films never really make money. But as long as they make their money back and they get their percentage, they are happy. So this this works for them. It doesn't work for us so there's a level of not caring so when you make a phone for me it feels like you're making it for the distributor for them to make money they will make their money back they will get their percentage for instance if you shoot a six hundred thousand us dollars uh, budget movie and they give you five thousand dollars for marketing and distribution you don't get it in hand they tell you that this is the money we're giving you for marketing obviously when they take it to these cinemas they will make that money back, and they will sell to pay TV. They'll get their commission, which is their percentage, um, and you end up paying uh, for a statement that you don't even you're not even sure how it worked out. So you, they just send you the statement. So for them, they don't care because they will make their money. If you don't make your money, it's a, you know I mean it's it's nothing to to them maybe we also play into this thing maybe we 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 come across as desperate but that's mm. how they're treating us as well um where this thing is not a collaboration for me it it, it needs to be called i've made this film this is my film if you want to distribute my film let's sit down and plan mm-hmm. the distribution together it can't be one-sided because you guaranteed to get your money Got you. What do you think can can change
0: the status quo? And you know, where do you see like the future of
1: uh, filmmaking in South Africa? Look, I, I believe what we started needs to carry on. Because I'm not gonna lie to you. As much as we didn't make a lot of money, I think we're one of the few black producers that made money from a film. Through independent distribution, Um, I think we're at a point where we need to work against the system and and find new ways of making films, new ways of distribution, um, new ways of interacting with our consumers, and sell our films to the people. Yeah. So. It doesn't help um, sitting and hoping i think we've been hoping for too long Mm -hmm. it's time we just get together and just do what needs to be done you know as long as there are people that are willing to to buy what is working for us now in south africa and i think that we need to exploit as long as it's still working for us until it stops working you know i don't know how many companies now have content on netflix and what has been happening is that Netflix has been investing in these projects, which means now that these independent filmmakers have been making money without taking their movies to the cinema, without taking their movies to these distributors. So they've been seeing cash. They've been making money. So it's about time that we just get together, make proper films. Um, I always say that as black people, we our background is not a good one in terms of having capital banking or whatever.
0: Mm,
1: ownership. Yes. So we can't be scared of something that we know, you know, what I mean, like we just need to collaborate and like I'm saying, just break these barriers and just break these, you know, conventions and just, and just make movies and sell movies and own movies. We need to own our own, our own content.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm all for like, direct-to-consumer sort of business model. It's just, it just seems so hard to cut through because there's so much content nowadays. Um, You know, people are being pulled a thousand different ways, whether it's through a movie, a TV show, social media. And then if you, like, you know, your film has the Netflix stamp. So your film has, even if nobody sees the trailer, there's a certain cachet and a certain credibility that your film has. But if you were to go direct to consumer, it might be harder to get people to pay attention to you and to, and to give you the credibility, even though it's the same exact film.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, um, it's, it sort of feels like you, you need something to validate you. (laughs) So I think, I think you have a good point. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that we, we cannot try, you know, I made my first, yeah, my first independent film in 2009. So we shot it and we took it straight to DVD. Um, DVDs were Mm -hmm. still popular then, they were still making money. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. Like the number of people that had seen the film, that had bought the film was amazing. Uh, So my thing is, we just need to keep trying. We just need to keep finding and knocking in all these doors and see what works. You will find what works, yeah. you know? But if we fold our arms and not do anything, we will never know. You know, if you don't jump, you will never know. You will, yeah. you will keep wondering wh- how it would have been, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: I know you have to go pretty soon. I'm, I'm really curious, you know, pre-pandemic, what what was the cinema culture like in South Africa? Like, Are lots of people going to the cinema out there uh you know, is it, is it a booming industry, a dying industry? Cause here in America, even before the pandemic, it's kind of a slowly dying industry. And there are, you know, people that are, you know, cinephiles or in the studios are trying to figure out how to keep it afloat. And now that the pandemic has hit, it's really on uh you know, on thin ice. And I, I, I do think there will be a market here for cinema. I don't know what it's going to look like but um i'm just curious to know what it's like in south africa where do you think it's heading
1: it's bad it's 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 not looking good at all i mean pre-pandemic it was not looking good anyway uh remember you in south africa you've got an audience that consumes more american content and the truth is, we are miles behind uh, the U.S. Uh, for a number of reasons, including budgets. So, it it was working against us even before the, this pandemic hit, uh, and I I don't see us recovering. So that is why I'm saying, our hope for now is selling directly to. Um, channels like Netflix to pay T V here to um public broadcasters. Um no like the, right now no one goes to cinema. If there is, it's a few people. Like very few.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the because only of the South African even before it was best. Exactly. Like before the pandemic before the pandemic, the only person who was making a lot of money in cinema was uh this white guy called leon schuster other than that no one like i was saying to you no one really breaks even in south africa no one can look at you and say as a producer i've made money in cinema we tried to figure it out until until the pandemic hit and i think it's going to be difficult now to to bounce back and make it work Yeah. Uh, Staking Echo has opened. New Metro hasn't opened as yet. Uh, Even those has opened. I think they've opened a few sites um, because no one really goes, you know, to watch these films. So that's why I was saying to you even earlier we just need new ways of distribution. We can't rely on cinema because it has never made money for us. Got you. Got you.
0: Okay. Well, I'm gonna cross my fingers and hope that there's still some sort of market. <laughs> if I, when and if I go to South Africa one day, I'd like to go, go to the cinema. So I'm still, I'm still gonna blindly, uh, have hope. <laughs> um, but before I let you go, is there anything else that you want to tell our audience, our community of filmmakers, black filmmakers?
1: And uh, black filmmakers, like yo, know, it's 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 very difficult to be a black filmmaker. I think every black maker is aware of that. We don't need to keep reminding each other about that. But I think let's let's get together and and do everlasting collaborations. We've got a lot of resources. Um it's just that we do not have the spirit of of unity, the spirit of coming together and doing something amazing. You know, with the studios, for instance, in the US. Uh, you would have three or four studios coming in and putting in money for for a bigger picture, you know, and making sure that picture is, is a success. Here in South Africa, and I think it's, it's it's a common thing all over the world. I don't know what happens when we're supposed to collaborate as black people. Uh, for instance, you've got black creatives here that have got equipment to shoot world-class forms. You've got editors that are sitting at home not acting, but they're very talented. You've got directors that are sitting at home not working, but they're very talented. And I'm saying there's nothing stopping us from just getting together and shooting amazing projects. I'm saying this because we've started doing it. Uh, We shot a six part series uh, using that model where I called a friend who as a rental company to say, look, bring in your equipment. I'll bring in a group of actors and crew and let's shoot. And my business partner put together a script, like a proper script. And we're in the process now of making money, whereas we didn't spend money in production, we just used our resources. So now we, 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 we're selling that, that six-part series. And that might open models for us, you know, it might have a second season, or it might have a longer run in, 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 in I mean, when they recommission it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it means that now we own it. So you've got a group of filmmakers that are owning a drama series. We wouldn't own it if we didn't come together, mm-hmm. made a decision to go out there and shoot and just, and just shoot because the truth is we are sitting at home, twitching our thumbs our thumbs, and not, and not doing anything. Why can't we just come together and shoot?
0: Yeah.
1: Put together all our resources and just keep working. We just need to keep working. Because you know, when you keep working, you're also training your, your film muscle. When an opportunity comes, uh, you are ready. Yeah. You've been practicing, you've been doing this thing. You have been sharpening your skill. Uh, so we just need to keep getting ready, ready ourselves so that when bigger opportunities come, we, we are in a, you know, in a good space to, to explain. Yeah,
0: Got to stay ready. All right. Thank yeah. you. Zoko. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much, my brother. You I must come to South to. Africa.
0: I definitely want to.
1: Yeah. You just let me know when you come um yeah we will make sure that you are awesome.
0: comfortable this yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna check out your film this is a gr- this is a great interview and uh i learned a lot i'm gonna apply a lot of these uh negotiation tactics to my own my own projects so very much appreciated and enjoy your evening
1: thank you so much Reggie. I'll, i'll keep in touch
0: thanks for listening to the black film space podcast If you're interested in attending our events, becoming a member or donating to our mission, please visit us at blackfilmspace.com. Also, follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Black Film Space. Subscribe to our email list and podcast. All right. Peace out. and See you soon.